Hey, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 4. We're continuing through verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. And we're looking at an important topic today, especially in the culture we're living in right now. We're looking at the importance of rest and how to be people of rest. Now, interesting, um, uh, rest is mentioned in this 16 verses of this chapter 10 times. So it's a theme of this chapter. And what we're going to see as we go through this chapter that God wants us to be people who know how to have rest. Rest. What does the word rest mean? Webster's def- definition of rest is freedom from exertion and activity. The Greek word used 10 times in this chapter is katapasis. Pauses. It means to take a pause and take a break from striving, to learn to be quiet, to learn how to rest, to learn how to settle down. That's important for our culture, especially in the crazy chaos we're in with this virus infecting our culture. There's a lot of uh, people that are stressed out right now. Actually, latest poll is 70% of Americans are overly stressed right now or admit to being overly stressed. And I, said, I think since this virus, it's probably a higher number than that. And people all throughout our culture are looking for ways to get some peace. They're looking to uh, spas, to massages, to um, uh, yoga, uh, mas- whatever. But you know where the, uh, often people aren't looking to, where the true source of rest is? We're going to see today in this chapter. It's, 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 it's a person. His name is Jesus. It's the one who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you, here's our word, rest. He said, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus. And in the Old Testament, people found rest on the Sabbath day. That was a part of their covenant with God as Israel. is one day a week, take a day, and that's your Shabbat. That's your Sabbath. That's your rest. Find rest. And I think it's still a good principle, the Sabbath principle, one day a week, take a day to just rest. You know, work six days if you want, but one day a week, take a day to rest. But you know, in this new covenant we're in, we don't find rest in a day as much as we find it in a person. And that's Jesus. He's our rest. He's our source for rest for our souls. So let's look at our chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1, if you're there. Honk your horn. There you go. All right. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear let's, let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering. Here's our word. His rest. Any one of you should seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed entered, here it is, that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested. See the example of God? God worked for six days in creation, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who have formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. <clears throat> he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he had said before, today if you hear his voice, here's what we saw last week too, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains, here it is, therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, a little context here. This, this is written to Jewish Christians 
that were being persecuted. They were being alienated from family members that didn't, didn't like that they had converted to Christianity. They were, they were contemplating and considering going back to the legalism of the law and rejecting Jesus Christ. And so the author is saying, going all the way back to the, to the wilderness when Israel was in the wilderness, the uh, author is saying this, the people of God did not enter into the rest of the promised land because of their disobedience. And so he's pointing to that now, and he's going to give us some principles now as we go through these remaining verses on how to have rest, how to be people of rest, how to find rest in Jesus. The first principle, go back to our verses, what I just read, verse 10, very, very important principle for rest. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Remember, Jesus is sitting as our high priest at the right hand of the Father, and he's seated because he's finished his work. What work is that? The work of the cross. He finished the work of the cross for us, and he said as he was dying on the cross, it is finished. To tell us that, paid in full. First principle for rest. You want more rest? Trust in the sufficiency of the final work for your sins upon the cross by Jesus Christ. Don't go back to legalism and go back to your works to earn your status or your favor with God. That's not what New Covenant Christianity is about. New Covenant Christianity is, it's finished, it's done, paid in full. Therefore, everyone has been justified by faith. You have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. Not through your works, but through the work that Jesus did on the cross for your sins. And so the author is telling us, Don't go back to works. Don't go back to performance. The one who's entered his rest has rested from his works. Here's how it plays out for us as Christians. We get saved by grace. We believe in the promise, for by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works. But then we go back into a performance mode sometimes. We try to earn our standing with God by being a good Christian. And doing the right thing. And we should do the right thing. We should be good Christians. But we shouldn't trust in that for our standing with God. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all our sin. And we need to rest from trying to be good enough from God. Trust in his grace. And that will give us more peace. As we trust in the rest that we have through the sufficiency of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. One of my favorite Christian authors is Keith Green. He died in 1982 at 28 years old from a plane crash. But... Before that, from age 22 to 28, he wrote a bunch of Christian albums. He, 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 he challenged a whole generation of us young people to be on fire for Christ. But you know what Keith Green happened in his life? Is after he got saved, he was so on fire for Christ, he started getting into a performance mode. He started getting into legalism. He started thinking that he had to work his way to God. And then there was a guy named John Dawson from YWAM, Youth with a Mission, that started discipling Keith. And taught him some more about grace. Taught him some more about that. Hey, Keith, you don't got to work your way into God's favor. God's favor is given you through the cross. Through what Jesus has done for you already. And through your faith in Christ. And, and Keith kind of had a grace awakening after that. And he wrote a great song. Grace by which you stand. Let me read the words to you. It says, Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. And how I wish I had ex- it had been explained that as you're growing... You must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God, by which I stand in Jesus. I know that I would surely fall away except for grace, by which I'm saved. That's where we find rest, church. 
Find it in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and that it's only by grace. The word grace, what does it mean? Undeserved merit and favor. And that's what we have through Christ and through his death on the cross and our faith in him. So first principle for rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ. It's sufficient. He's paid the price. You're forgiven. Your stand is not based on how good you get. It's based upon the grace of God given to you through your faith in Christ. Now let's go on. Verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Here's our verse. Let anyone fall through following the same example. Notice verse 11. Of disobedience. Now, second thing we're being told here. You want rest? Don't be disobedient. And it's going back, all, all, all the way back again to the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of Israel not doing what God said, and that's going into the promised land. And they didn't go in because of their fear of the giants, and that there was giants, and they were like grasshoppers compared to the giants, and they were disobedient, so they wandered in circles in the wilderness for 40 years until all the adults died, and then the kids ended up going into the promised land. Here's the second principle for rest. Obedience. Yes, we're saved by grace. Our stand is not based upon our obedience. It's not based upon our works. But once we're saved by grace, we need to be obedient Christians because after it says we're saved by grace through faith, it says we become his workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here's the truth. You can't have rest as a Christian in disobedience. You know why? Because God loves you too much to allow you to stay in your disobedience without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit will do in every believer's life is if you get into disobedience, he'll make you restless because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's given to convict us in regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And then once, once that conviction comes, when we repent, what happens is we get back to peace. We get back to rest. That's why Peter said in Acts 3.19, Therefore, repent, return, so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see that? There's a refreshment from repentance. There's a peace. There's a rest. And you know, my job as a preacher is not to have everybody come to church and get their ears tickled. My job as a preacher is not to, if you're you're coming to church and you're in a disobedient state and you're backslidden, my job as a preacher is to bring repentance through conviction, through the teaching of God's word. And I'm not here to, I'm, I'm here to comfort the afflicted, but I'm also here to afflict the comfortable. If you're comfortable in your disobedience, you come to Calvary Chapel, I want you to get convicted to the point that you get it right. And you get back to living for God because that's where peace and rest is found in obedience and living for God. You know, the, one of the last great revivals in our country happened when this preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon up in New England. It was a sinner, it was called, uh, the sermon was called uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was straightforward, no truth uh, uh, messed with in that, in that sermon. He laid it out and he said, if we don't repent and get right with God, there's judgment coming. And you know what happened? The whole from, from New England all, all across the states, there was a great awakening of people repenting and getting, getting right with God. It's called the Great Awakening in the history of our country. I'm praying this virus might do that. Amen? I'm praying that this virus might bring repentance to our nation so we could get back to being a nation that trusts in our God. We get back to a nation that's living for God instead of living for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Amen? I, I got some amens on that. Let's get back to that. Let's have another great awakening because of, of this virus waking people up. 
And then it says this, after, after this, after the obedience, it says in verse 12, another principle for peace. Great verse. Every Christian should have this verse underlined. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Do you see that? That one verse could be a whole sermon right there. What's God's word? It's living. What does that mean? It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. There's, there's inspiration in this book by God. It's living. And it's also, notice, active. The word active there, powerful. There's power in this book. Power for what? To set us free. To change us. To give us peace instead of turmoil. It's living. It's active. Notice it's also sharper than a two-edged sword. What's that mean? It has the ability, it says, to like a, a surgeon's scalpel. It has the ability to cut through our soul and our spirit. It has the ability to go to the joints of the marrow, the very inner part of our being, and then able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Here's how it works. I call it, spir- I call it spiritual surgery. I get, are we going to amen by drive-by amener right there? See that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so God's word has the ability to, just like a surgeon's scalpel, to go in and cut and to bring healing through God's word. God's word is powerful. You know, um, probably about 15 years ago, I had, uh, I had a, a, a torn meniscus in my knee. And for a year, I hate doctors, I hate hospitals, I hate surgery. So for a year, I limped around. And I limped around. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't jog. I couldn't run. I limped for a year because I didn't want to have to deal with the surgery. But finally, after a year, I went into the surgeon's scalpel. And he did little, three little holes. A hole there, a hole there, a hole there. And after six weeks after the surgery, I could run with no pain. And I was going, why didn't I have the surgery sooner? I could have had a year of pain-free jogging or whatever else. You know what? God's Word has the same ability, not in our physical being, but our spiritual being. God's Word has the ability to go in like a surgeon's scalpel, bring healing. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just want to save us. He wants to make us whole. He wants to set the captives free. He wants to heal that which is bruised. He wants to make us people that are in the process of becoming whole Christians. Amen. But there's power in the Word of God to do that. And if we're going to be people that are growing and are people of peace and rest and healing and wholeness, we need to be people that are allowing God's word to go into our inner being and bring healing. Because God's word can do that. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It will set you free and bring wholeness and healing and rest to your life as you, on a daily basis, get yourself into God's word. Allow God's word, read God's word, hear God's word taught. Meditate on God's word. Memorize God's word. As you do those things, it'll be living and active. It'll be sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll go into the very soul and spirit and judge the thoughts and tension of your heart and go to your very inner being and help you be people of peace and people of healing and people of wholeness. Now let's close up our message. Look at, look at uh, verse 13. Actually, two more points. Verse 13. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now notice that verse. That verse can be a scary verse or it can be a verse that will bring peace. 
It's a scary verse if you're in disobedience. If you're not living for God and you're, you're in a place of backsliddenness or not right with God, the idea that everything is open and laid bare, another version says naked before the eyes with whom we have to do. That's a scary verse if you're not right with God. But here's the good news. If you're right with God and you're living for Christ, you're living in obedience, here's what happens. That's a comforting verse. That's a verse that tells us that no matter where we are at, no matter what we face in life, we can have the, the peace and the rest of knowing God sees us and he cares and he's with us. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me, known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word of my tongue, Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shield, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. David also said in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For notice, you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that, church? Do you see that? Nothing, no one, no virus, no crisis can separate us from the love of Christ, which is in, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus promised, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's here right now. He's watching us in this outdoor uh, 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 stadium or the amphitheater we have right here. He's watching us, and he loves the fact that we're here, allowing his word to go into the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, allowing his word to be a scalpel, making us more like Christ. He's here. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you, and that will give us rest too. Amen? Amen. I think that was my wife beeping right there. He is never going to leave us. He's here. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He sees us and he cares. Last principle for rest. This, these are some great verses. Let's read it. It says this, verse 14. For since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And I love this about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Last thing we're told about Jesus here, I love this. He's passed through the heavens for us to be our high priest. What's a priest? A high priest is someone who mediates between man and God. And as our high priest, you know what those verses say? As our high priest, he could sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he became man and he faced every temptation we have ever faced. He faced lust. He faced greed. He faced anger. He faced every temptation we face. Jesus has faced it. And so he can relate. Now, he's without sin. He didn't sin like we did. But he faced 
the pressure of temptation just like we did. How do I know that? Because after he was tempted by the devil three times, God actually had to send angels to minister to Jesus because of the warfare that he faced with those temptations. And I love the fact that he can relate. He can understand. And you know what? We have a U-turn for Christ here where guys are coming through drug and alcohol recovery. You know what the best people to minister to those guys are? Are other guys that have already come through recovery and have, have success in overcoming addictions. And then they can relate to these guys. And they're the best leaders that we have because they can identify, they can relate, and they can minister to the guys that are presently going through that. That's how Jesus is. He identifies totally with our humanness. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what we go through. And I love that last verse we just read. And as our high priest, he says he's got a throne of grace, which we could come to in our time of need to find mercy and grace and and, and help. Notice, Jesus' throne isn't a throne of condemnation. It's a throne of what? Grace. And so when we're in trouble, when we're getting stressed out by all the stuff that's going on around us, when we have fears, when we have people that we might even know that are facing this virus, what we should do is we should run to Jesus because he's our high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's got a throne of grace that we can come to and we can find mercy and help in our time of need at that throne of grace. He's very accessible and he's gracious and he cares and he loves us. He wants us to run to him, especially in these times. So what did we learn about rest this morning? Let's close it up now. Number one, you want rest. Don't trust in your works to, to earn favor with God. Realize it's done. It is finished. Paid in full. The price has been paid. Grace covers anything you've done or will do. By grace, you've been saved. Trust in that sufficiency of what Christ has done on the cross. Number two, if we want rest, after that, we need to realize, hey, don't stay in disobedience. If you're backslidden, you'll never have rest because the Holy Spirit will convict you as a Christian until you get right with God, and then you can have rest, and then times of refreshing can come again. Number three, let the Word of God continually do surgery upon your soul, your spirit. Let the Word of God be that surgeon's scalpel that will help you be all that God wants you to be, and as you have time in God's Word, it will bring peace. It will bring rest. That's a part of the fruit of being in God's Word is this book does spiritual surgery, brings healing, and brings rest to our lives. Number four, after letting the Word of God do that work in our lives, we need to know that God sees everything. He's with us. Everything is open and laid bare before the one with whom we have to do. He sees us, and He's with us, and He cares. He's our shepherd who sees us so that we could be people that know that even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us, and He's present. And we could draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. And the last thing we've seen is, hey, be people that are drawing near to the, to the throne of grace. Be running to the throne of grace when you have needs. Because he's a sympathetic high priest who understands everything you're going through, and he cares. And he loves you. And he wants to help. Well, we need to draw near. Well, I don't feel God's near to me. I feel he's, he's left me. I feel like God is absent. The book of James tells us, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. If you feel distant from God, He didn't move. You just need to get things right with Him again and draw near to Him. And His presence, His power, His help, His grace 
will be present and strong again in your life.